the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, February the 18th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1970, the Chicago 7 defendants, they were found not guilty of conspiring to incite riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Five were convicted of violating the Anti-Riot Act. Those convictions were later reversed. Today in 1546, Martin Luther, the reformer of the Protestant Reformation, he died in Germany. Today in 1564, artist Michelangelo died in Rome. And today in 1688, the Quakers in Germantown, Pennsylvania, created the first, um, it was a resolution actually, but it was the first written or formal anti-slavery resolution on the continent, 1688. Today, in 1885, Mark Twain's Adventures of Huckleberry Finn were first published in the U.S. They had been published in uh, Britain and Canada before that. Maybe they were test marketing it, I don't know. But anyway, it was published in the United States today in 1885. Today, 1930, photographic evidence of Pluto now designated, is it still, de- I think it's still designated, a dwarf planet? That doesn't seem fair. In a society that just breaks all barriers for fairness, how could we call Pluto a dwarf planet? Anyway, that was discovered by Clyde Tombaugh at the um, Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. Today, 1945, U.S. Marines stormed Iwo Jima. Today, in 1983, 13 people were shot to death at a gambling club in downtown Seattle. Seattle's Chinatown became known as the Wami Massacre. Today, in 1997, astronauts on the space shuttle Discovery completed their tune-up of the Hubble Space Telescope. 33 hours of spacewalking. I wonder, I wonder what that would feel like. I guess if you're have you gone through all the training and the preparation and all of that to be a an astronaut? It probably wouldn't feel that weird, but it would, I mean, just out there, outside of that capsule, I guess being up there is would be kind of an experience for most of us, but being outside that ship, 33 hours, they got the Hubble all fixed and then they released it using the shuttle's crane. Interesting. Today in 2001... Auto racing star, superstar, Dale Earnhardt Sr. died in a crash at the Daytona 500. He was 49 years old. Um, I I mentioned yesterday that the Daytona 500 uh, ran on Sunday, but they were rained out. I mean, it was near the end of the race. I'm not sure how far along they were, but it was they finished the race yesterday. And at the conclusion of the race yesterday at Daytona, there was a horrific crash, and I, I saw it on television last night. It was unbelievable. The car was up in the air and all over the place. 
I can't remember who was driving it, but the guy they say he's, has serious injuries, but um, they're apparently not going to be life-threatening. They believe he's going to live and survive. But car racing is a um, is a pretty uh, pretty dangerous sport, but it's sure interesting. I uh, did a little of that in when I was a kid, but it wasn't on a track. It was on a public highway, but I'm not going to get into that because I live way out in the country, and it wasn't nearly nearly as dangerous as what these guys are doing on these big tracks. Bernie Sanders was all fired up last night in Tacoma. He uh, had a crowd. The Seattle Times says this morning there were more than 17,000 people at the Tacoma Dome. And, uh, boy, he came out firing, I'll tell you. He's, uh, he's angry, and he's focused. He said that President Donald Trump, he said the corporate elite and the Democratic establishment, his own party, he said they should be getting nervous because he said, I'm on a roll, and I have early successes in my presidential race. Bernie might be getting a little nervous. I don't know, because uh, it's in the news this morning that that Mayor Mike Bloomberg looks like he's successfully bought his first piece of the Democratic primary elections. He um, he will be. He will be. uh, Now he's at 19% or something, and he hasn't done anything except just spend hundreds of millions. I mean, he's over $100 million now. Uh, or 400, $417 million so far on ads on television. And this will be the first appearance by him. He's now qualified for the debate uh, coming up. I think it's tomorrow night. I'm not sure. I, I, I follow the Democratic primaries to see what they're saying, but I, I'm not like locked in on the dates. I think it's, I know it's this week. It's it's in the next couple of days. But anyway, he'll be, I think it's tomorrow night, but he'll be a, a part of that. For the first time, he'll face off, you know, in real life with these guys, uh, Bernie and the others. So we'll see what happens there. That'll be kind of interesting. But Bernie said last night, he said, today we say to Mayor Mike Bloomberg, we are, are uh, we are a democracy, not an oligarchy. You are not going to buy this election. He said, uh, Bernie said, Bloomberg is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a national ad blitz, but he cannot buy the people. Well, Bernie, I mean, honestly, in his own way, is trying to buy the people as well. Socialism always tries to buy the people up front. Anyway, he had a, some Seattle uh, lights there last night with him, and uh, including Washington Representative Pramila Jayapal. I don't think she was there, but she's endorsing him. But he had some others there from the Seattle City Council members, especially uh, Sawant, and uh, she she drew a big big cheers from the crowd uh, when she was introduced. She introduced herself to the crowd as Seattle's socialist on the Seattle Council, and she repudiated the Democratic Party, saying we need to elect Bernie and we need a new party of and by working people. Man, she and Bernie sounds like Karl Marx on a limited intellectual budget, but that was kind of the tenor of what was going on last night. Sanders, Sanders told the crowd, boy, they were out. I mean, they were all in. Uh, they were boisterous. They were stamping their feet from some video that I saw, chanting, applauding the calls for a massive government spending programs. Bernie was ticking them off, and the people were just going wild. He said, he said it's a human right. 
uh, Medicare for All. He said, we're going to implement the new Green Deal. That's Ocasio-Cortez's deal. And he said, we're going to have free uh, tuition at public colleges and universities. He said, if Congress can bail out the crooks on Wall Street and give tax breaks to the billionaires, Congress can cancel all student debt in this country. The crowd roared. They said, yes, yes. They cheered also for a reversal of Trump's immigration policies. And in a nod to the West Coast homeless crisis, Sanders said, I will build 10 million, 10 million units of affordable housing. He said, this is America. We will not continue having a half million people sleeping out on the streets. I'm just, I mean, I'm a simple man, and I, I realize these people are much more evolved, but if there's a half a million people sleeping on the streets and he's going to build these homes for the people on the street, why would he build 10 million new units or new homes? I don't know. I mean, these people are, are way beyond me. I mean, they're so smart and so wise that I, I can't grasp all of it. But anyway, to meet the needs of a half a million people, he's going to build 10 million new homes, free, no less. I'll tell you, it's entertaining. Again, I, I, I'm i sure there's much that I, I, it's complex and it's complicated, as politicians like to say, and I don't understand it, but I really don't get socialism all that much, except that it's just offering a bunch of free stuff that you really can't afford and you know you won't provide for the people, but you move them forward and give them a little and then explain why they're not going to get all the rest of it, and that's my view, and I've studied it fairly deeply, of Marxism, socialism, communism, cultural Marxism operates on the same principles. Well, I'll tell you, if we were to continue down this path, and I don't believe we will, what a sad end this country would come to. Well, uh, we knew it was coming. The Boy Scouts of America formally filed for bankruptcy protection this morning. They said they want, they're hoping they could work out a potentially mammoth victim compensation plan that will allow the 110-year-old organization to carry on. The Chapter 11 filing in federal bankruptcy court was filed in Wilmington, Delaware. It sets in motion what could be, Associated Press says, the biggest, most complex bankruptcy ever seen. Scores of lawyers, there's one lawyer in Seattle that is particularly involved in this, I'm aware of. The scores of lawyers are seeking settlements on behalf of several thousand men who say they were molested as scouts by scoutmasters and other leaders decades ago, but only now are eligible to sue because of recent changes in their state's statute of limitation laws. They are preparing, the Boy Scouts are preparing, and I just just was came out this morning because they filed this morning but i'm going to take a, another a little deeper look at this today after this program but the boy scouts of america are preparing for a billion dollars plus to be paid out in damages to people filing lawsuits against them i was interested to see just very quickly before we came on the air this morning to see what is their net worth? I mean, how much money do they have? I mean, I assume they had a lot. They do. Their net worth is about $10 billion. So they can handle the $1 billion without a problem. So they're trying to limit their losses. 
get past this and move on, but there are so many other factors involved in the Boy Scouts. It is a sad commentary, to say the least. We'll probably be talking about this again. Harvard Law School professor emeritus Alan Dershowitz, he's the guy that he was one of the people that testified during the impeachment of President Trump. He's a lawyer. He's a was a Harvard Law School professor. He's now emeritus, highly, highly respected in the country. He is a Democrat. In fact, he said he voted for Hillary, but he supported Trump and he spoke against Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and the guys that were perpetrating this this um, litigation, really, against the president. You remember him. Highly respected. He says, he said Sunday that billionaire, far-left financier George Soros told then-President Barack Obama to investigate a specific person. He singled out somebody and asked Obama to investigate him. I don't know if they did or not because we don't know who the person is. But the professor says, I have the memo. And he said, we we are going to file a lawsuit. And when that, very soon, and he said, when that's filed, it will become public who that person was that George Soros asked or ordered Barack Obama to investigate. He was talking to Brett Bart News host Joel Polek and he said, we'll be filing the lawsuit soon, and it will then all be public. He said, I can't tell you who the person is today. The exchange, that part of the exchange, there was a larger um, conversation there, interview. But uh, Polak said, but, but let me just, I'm quoting from the context, now from the text of their, this part of their conversation. He said, let me just ask you, he said, you said that George Soros asked Barack Obama to have his Justice Department investigate somebody specifically? Dershowitz said, yeah, we're, he said, that's going to come out in a lawsuit in the near future. Yeah. And uh, Polak said, well, wow. He said, we look forward to hearing about about that news. I mean, that is news for sure. Dershowitz went on to say this, and I'm quoting him. He said, that's not unusual. He said, that's not unusual. People whisper to the presidents all the time. Presidents whisper to the Justice Department all the time. He said, it's very common. It's wrong, but he said, whoever does it, but it's common. And we shouldn't think that it's unique to any particular president. He was, of course, referring to they are now, the Democrats are now on this thing against Trump because Trump tweeted, he probably shouldn't have done it, but he did. And he said that the 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 charges against some of these people that have been charged in this effort to get Trump should be thrown out. And he made the point about Roger Stone being given, what was it, nine years or something like that in prison for what he did, which was very minimal, as opposed to other people like like high-up leaders in the FBI and elsewhere, and I'll come back to that in a moment, just being scot-free. I mean, they just walk away. They lie under oath and all these things, and they just walk away. So Trump was making that point. I agree with Trump. I don't know if that was the right thing to do because Attorney General Barr came back and said, you know, boy, I wish you would. And he's kind of like his boss. I mean, he appointed him, and he said, I wish you wouldn't do that. It creates a problem for us to carry out justice, you know, and, and do what's right. 
and it, I can see where it does muddy the water. So maybe the president shouldn't have done that. But he, he tweets a lot of things he probably shouldn't, but that's who he is. And I doubt that he'll ever change in that regard. So anyway, Dersowicz wouldn't identify exactly who was targeted, but he said it will soon emerge as this law, uh, lawsuit is filed. But it brings up a much larger question, and it cuts to the very heart of our country. If you put Bill Barr and all these other guys aside, and you just you know, put that on the margin, not that it's not important, it's incredibly important. But you have to stop and think, is this nation deteriorating from within because we will not recognize the law? Because any nation that doesn't recognize the law ultimately collapses from its own weight. There's been 21 or 22 major civilizations clear back as far as we have historic record, and that would be the Old Testament, frankly. But as far back as we have human record, when societies do not have laws that everybody upholds or buys into, with the exceptions of criminals, then there is no societal, there is no substance, there's no structure, there's no foundation. And of course, our founding fathers, in fact, they said in their own writings and deliberations as they were creating our Constitution, they said, we have studied all of the countries, and they came to a to a, a real just a bump in the road as they were working there in Philadelphia to put our document, our constitution together. And they just couldn't, I mean, they couldn't agree. They didn't know for sure what they wanted to do. And they knew maybe too much. Maybe they'd done too much research. I don't know, but they just couldn't agree. And finally, there was a call, and this is all on the record. There was a call for prayer. Ben Franklin, probably the least religious guy in the place maybe in all of our government at that time he said we we've got to pray about this we've got to say some prayers and even some people disagreed with that not that they opposed prayer they just said well we, we don't have the money to hire a, a pastor or a preacher to come and lead us in prayer that's what they did in those days they would pay the preachers to come and and pray or do whatever they did and and so on. And that was that became a sticking point. I mean, they just couldn't agree on anything. But finally, after prayer and a dismissal, and they kind of got away from each other for a while, they came back together and they decided on what our Constitution is today. And it still stands. I mean, it stands as a as a light in the darkness as far as the political culture of the world. But when the laws begin to break down, the nation begins to collapse. And we're looking at some of that now. And I, I think we should be aware of it. So we can pray an informed prayer for sure. But founding father John Adams, a contemporary, of course, of Ben Franklin, he enshrined the concept of a government of laws, not of men. In 1780, in the Massachusetts State Constitution, where he was from Massachusetts, as you may know, but his words expressed the firm conviction that was throughout the, all of the 13 colonies at that time. That was the conviction that led up to the Revolutionary War. And it was stoked by fiery sermons from the Word of God, from the Bible. But they knew there had to be laws. But they knew that it could not be laws handed down from a king. 
It had to be laws that were agreed to by the people who would be governed by those laws. King George III was the outstanding example of what they didn't want. That's whom they addressed the Declaration of Independence, and they talked about it long after as they began to work on the Constitution. Our founders would subvert the accepted notion that the king is law, the rex lex in the Latin, there was this notion of rulership or, or leadership or government structure that had to do with the king being law. If the king said it, it was law. They declared that l- the law is king, and they reversed what was generally accepted in Europe. That comes from, for you scholars out there, that comes from Aristotle's politics of laws, and I'm sure you know that, but it's rather than men as a form of government, I mean, handing down laws, the laws, the men are regulated by the laws, even if they are the head of the country, the president or whatever. We don't know who was targeted by Soros to be investigated by President Obama and his crew, but knowing Dersowich, we'll find that out real soon. And that fits into this whole thing that we need to be, we just need to be informed about. We do know there's a growing concern that our laws seem to apply to some, but not to others. And there was a lot about that on the news yesterday and last night. There seems to be a developing a two-tier system in America, our laws. Friday, we were told that the Justice Department is closing its investigation on Andrew McCabe. He's the FBI's former deputy director over, he made all these false statements. Investigators probed, they found unauthorized leaks that McCabe had orchestrated. McCabe was fired last March after a blistering Justice Department inspector general, IG, report concluded that he repeatedly and blatantly lied. I mean, that's not even, I mean, he's the only one that's denying it. But the rationale behind the Justice Department's decision is explored fairly and deeply by several uh, articles today that I don't have time to review with you today on the on a program because we're only a half an hour. But Andrew McCarthy published yesterday a in-depth article, and if, if you are this interested in this kind of thing, and I hope you are, it's in the National Review. I put a link to that in my article today. I wrote about this on Faith and Freedom Daily. I also put an article, Mike Huckabee wrote an excellent article on, on this same subject uh, as far as Andrew McCarthy and why they just are not going to pursue, uh, legally pursue him and, and bring him to justice. But both of them lay out the fact that McCabe lied big time. But because of how the information was handled and how others associated with McCabe have already testified and the potential for a very far-left jury in D.C. area, which is likely, for those reasons, the Justice Department decided they may not win and they're going, apparently, according to these guys, they're going to wait for another, a more appropriate time to try the case. Both say McCabe is not off the hook. So when you hear the news saying, well, McCabe is... Uh, he's exonerated or whatever words they're using. That's not entirely true. But the, the the weight of this has now come down on Bill Barr, who is perhaps one of the best AGs we've had in a long time, attorney generals. Sen- Senator Lindsey Graham was on the Fox News channel last night, 
And again, this morning, they I, get, I think they re-ran part of it. But he was reacting to the fact that more than a, a thousand Department of Justice uh, people, these are government bureaucracy workers, the deep state, if you please, they are calling for Attorney General William Barr to resign his post. Oh, not, not over the idea of not charging McCabe. No, no, they're saying that the Attorney General is like a puppet and he's being, his strings are being pulled by the President and they don't want any part of it. So Lindsey Graham really went off today and he's well informed, he's head of the Judicial Committee. He said there's a process in place, um, Graham says, there's a process in place and I don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. He said, I trust Bill Barr as much as anybody I've ever met and the law, he's going to do the right thing by the country. Now he said, my job, Graham, is to make sure crossfire hurricane never occurs again. I think it reeked with political bias. The thousand people who want Barr to resign are doing a political hit job on him. He said the four frontline Mueller uh, pros- uh, prosecutors were asking for a seven to nine year sentence that was totally unjustified. There was no threat to a witness that would justify increasing the three and a half to four and a half years to the recommend, uh, recommendations guidelines. They're talking about this uh, Stone uh, guy. So four prosecutors were overzealous and Bill Barr rightly corrected that, Graham said. Later in the segment, Graham said, and I made a note of this to myself, he said, to the people that want Barr to resign, we know your agenda. You're not trying to uphold the rule of law. You're trying to take a good man down because you hate Donald Trump. And that reminded me, and they do, that reminded me of Scripture in Judges. The book of Judges is about apathy and apostasy. It's about a time when God's people turned away from him and his ways and did what was right in their own eyes. And we're seeing that happen today in our in our culture. In those days, Israel had no king. The people did whatever was right in their own eyes. It parallels our social realities, our dysfunctions today in America. As people continue to pursue the notion of doing what is right in their own eyes, they, by their own decision, were choosing then to live not live under God's authority, and today we are choosing not to live under some kind of legal structure that holds a nation together. We are deciding, we are voting for, when we pursue and advance this whole uh, kind of a two-tiered justice system, we are voting for ultimate destruction. In his book, How the World Ends, J.B. Shreve, and I don't agree with everything J.B. Shreve writes, I'll be honest with you, but I do some of the things he writes. But in his book, How the World Ends, he said it was not simply that the people were self-interested. Their basis for morality, right and wrong, was centered upon their own will and desires. This was in spite of the incredible fact that they were the only people who God had ever given his law to. He's right. In this context, God was telling them not to slip into a self-centered lifestyle and philosophy. In fact, Moses had warned God's people a hundred years before that. Before that time, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8, you shall not do as we are doing here today. Everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. That was 100 years before this other statement was made. And here we are now in 2020, walking down that same path. When human eyes are turned away from God and toward secularism, 
what we're seeing today is the result. Hey, thanks for being with me today. Always a pleasure. Thank you for your support. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Thanks again. I'll see you right here tomorrow.